major indoor lacrosse. A dynamic young sports league entering its fourth season in 1990, quickly becoming the country's fifth major sport, making an impact, making contact with the future. Indoor lacrosse combines the speed of hockey, the skill and finesse of basketball, and the hard-hitting contact of professional football. Indoor lacrosse, the toughest game on the turf. Major Indoor Lacrosse began play in 1987 as the Eagle Pro Box Lacrosse League. Owners Chris Fritz and Russ Klein took the world's best lacrosse players, four established Northeastern arenas, and founded a four-team league that competed in the 15-game inaugural season. The league averaged 7,500 in attendance in 1987, with the season high coming on January 31st as a near-sellout crowd packed the Philadelphia Spectrum to watch the Wings. In 1988, each team played four home and four away games as the MILL continued to make an impact on the American sports scene. Average attendance climbed to 8,300 per game. 1988 was the first year of the MILL syndication network. Eight regular season games and the championship game were broadcast to 7 million homes in 16 major markets around the U.S. and Canada. 1989 marked a milestone in MILL history as the league expanded from four to six teams. The Detroit Turbos roared into the Motor City with the second highest attendance in the league. The New England Blazers became the first professional sports franchise at the Centrum in Worcester. The competition and excitement of the 1989 season can be captured in the last few seconds of its sold-out championship game at the Spectrum between the Wings and New York Saints last April. One last rush for New York. There it is. Driscoll, he's in. He shoots. It's saved. It's over. The Wings have won the major indoor lacrosse league championship. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. I thank you, Corey Coates, uh, once again for your dulcet tones and for uh, setting us up nicely for another fun-filled episode of what we call Good Seats Still Available. Yes, that's the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we uh, hopefully will delight you uh, to no end, one more time this week with uh, our first ever exploration into the sport of lacrosse. Uh, a number of you have been asking me about uh, the sport of lacrosse, both the outdoor and especially the indoor variety. And we have an, uh, an excellent guest, perhaps uh, one of the godfathers uh, of the indoor version of lacrosse, uh, this week on our here little show. And his name is Russ Klein. And together uh, with his colleague, uh, at the time, Chris Fritz uh, were uh, essentially the two uh, progenitors, inventors, uh, creators of what is now known as the National Lacrosse League. Actually, the second, uh, the second actual league to use that name, the original National Lacrosse League, uh, for those aficionados out there, was uh, uh, something that ran in 1974 and 75, uh, but uh, was the name that was... Uh, uh, adopted uh, in the, the uh, late 1990s uh, around something that uh, Russ and Chris started. 
uh, back in the mid-1980s. It was then known as the uh, Eagle Pro uh, Box Lacrosse League. Uh, that quickly became the major indoor lacrosse league. And um, and then in 1997, uh, through uh, a bunch of events that we'll talk about later in our conversation, uh, became what is now known as the National Lacrosse League. Uh, and it's a very, as many of our conversations are, interesting story, uh, certainly not a straight path by any means. And uh, it is a very insightful discussion that we have with uh, with Russ uh, about, uh, frankly, how how one of these leagues gets started, uh, the impetus behind it, uh, the purity and sanctity and the uh, uh, the professionalism of the sport versus uh, the entertainment and uh, excitement and the uh, uh, just the sheer spectacle uh, of what people expect when they go to sporting events and and the tension between those two. Um, Nurturing a sport that uh, had not really had a professional uh, league to it before and the ability for players who are passionate about the sport of lacrosse, having the opportunity to play uh, for money uh, and in front of thousands of fans, uh, yet juxtaposed with uh, the realities of the economics of such, whether it be uh, television or the lack thereof or uh, the ability to translate the sport of lacrosse, uh, arguably a uh, a long-standing and, and heritage-filled game uh, that dates back to the Native Americans. You know its ability to translate to a national footprint uh, beyond, say, some of its um, uh, you know northeastern roots uh, and Canadian roots. Um, all kinds of fun and interesting uh, stuff, and and I think you'll find some very uh, eyebrow-raising stories uh, from our guest, uh, National Lacrosse League slash Major Indoor Lacrosse League slash. Eagle Pro Box Lacrosse League founder, Russ Klein, uh, who is our guest. And uh, we'll be getting to that chat in uh, just a couple of minutes. So stay tuned for that. I think you're going to find this very, very interesting, even if you're not a lacrosse fan. And hell, if you even don't even know what the sport of lacrosse is, uh, you will find this uh, enormously interesting, uh, as I did. Um, before we get to our chat with Russ... Uh, of course, we want to uh, tell you about our promotional friends and encourage you, of course, to please take advantage of uh, said sponsors and uh, what they have to offer, because by doing so, you give us a little bit of love and keep uh, our little fledgling podcast uh, alive and 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 growing and uh, a few little shekels to help pay for uh, the uh, the costs of, of getting this uh, show up and running uh, and out to you into your earbuds every week. Audible. Uh, the audiobook service, of course, is one of our uh, our longtime sponsors, and we encourage you to get your free audiobook download and free one month uh, version or uh, one month trial of the of the service by going to audibletrial.com/goodseats. Again, audibletrial.com/goodseats. It's your opportunity to choose from uh, a, an extensive array of over 180 some odd thousand titles. That's an incredible amount of titles to choose from. And there's absolutely got to be something in some genre, some author, some publisher, some topic that's going to be of interest to you uh, to uh, burn off your free audiobook download uh, uh, credit and uh, enjoy uh, your uh, uh, your use of the Audible service for a month. Uh, you can cancel at any time. I need to underline that. Uh, it's a no-risk proposition. And uh, audiobooks are, are awesome and they're fun. Uh, and they're a great way when you're not listening to your favorite podcast, wink, wink, nod, nod, 
uh, to, to occupy your time. Again, audibletrial.com slash goodseats. Get your free audiobook download now uh, by doing so, and thank you for doing so. Our other sponsor, of course, are our friends at uh, sportshistorycollectibles.com, uh, where uh, our friend Dean Mitchell and, uh, and friends uh, offer you a, a promotional code uh, that allows you 15% off your purchases when you use the code GOODSEATS and at sportshistorycollectibles.com. They have a nice little tagline that we're going to try to use. It's, quote, the perfect gift for the sports fanatic in your life, and absolutely it is, because if you're a fan of uh, an historical team, uh, whether it exists today in some form or fashion or doesn't, uh, you're going to find uh, an absolute uh, amazing uh, assortment of uh, memorabilia and uh, programs and uh, media guides and buttons and bumper stickers and pennants and all kinds of interesting things, some of which you didn't even uh, think still existed, uh, but have been found and uh, and uh, beautifully nurtured and uh, and and, photo- and photographed in in a, in a very compelling uh, fashion. Uh, by proprietor Dean Mitchell there at sportshistorycollectibles.com. Uh, I think you'll find it just interesting to go to and visit. I think you'll find you'll uh, uh, lose a few uh, uh, major minutes, perhaps a couple of hours of time uh, by foraging through the site. But I would imagine, as I have and have done, uh, that you will find uh, something that will uh, tickle your fancy uh, and uh, and convince you to purchase and uh, and, and order something. Uh, from the site. And when you do, sportshistorycollectibles.com, you better sh- sure as hell use that promo code GOODSEATS for 15% off your purchases. Again, sportshistorycollectibles.com, a place to find that perfect gift for the sports fanatic in your life. Thanks, Dean, for your sponsorship. And uh, thank you, of course, to f- our friends listening out there who give it a try and hopefully make advantage, take advantage of that promo code GOODSEATS. Please do. All right, so let's uh, segue into our uh, a, a very uh, compelling uh, and uh, and uh, interesting conversation uh, with our friend Russ Klein, uh, the founder, the godfather, the co-godfather, I guess, of what is now professional indoor lacrosse. And I think you're going to find this conversation very, very intriguing, as I did. So please, as always, enjoy. I'm honored and, and frankly excited uh, to actually finally delve into the sport of lacrosse, the indoor variety. And um, you know, uh, aside with your uh, aside from your uh, uh, your partner in crime, who we'll talk about, I'm sure in a couple of seconds, um, you're basically uh, almost like the godfather of uh, the modern day version of uh, indoor uh, arena box lacrosse. And um, I'm excited to sort of chat about it because uh, I think it's a story that most. I guess you could say casual sports fans don't uh, sort of fully understand or grasp. And there's a whole bunch of uh, a growing number, of course, of uh, lacrosse fanatics, right? It's obviously become a much more, uh, 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 you know, uh, popular sport, even since uh, your early days in the 80s of, of getting it up and running in the, in the indoor variety. So um, I'm hoping you'll uh, you'll enjoy uh, uh, regaling us in some of the uh, the earliest days and maybe some of the uh, maybe unknown sort of uh, stories about uh, what ultimately became what is now known as the National Lacrosse League, but a very interesting, somewhat uh, a torturous history prior to that. Yeah, uh, everything grows out of some pain that's any good. We're born out of pain and great ideas 
are easy, but putting them to work takes a lot of uh, of sacrifice. And uh, I, I, I appreciate so much your giving me the Godfather uh, mentor, but I will tell you that so many people, so many people made this work and made it happen. And, and uh, uh, I certainly was honored and lucky to get to be a part of it because when I went into the sport, leaving the Kansas City Chiefs and, and I was doing a ton of different things. I'd worked for them for 10 years and I uh, was the first promotion director in the National Football League. Uh, I didn't know anything. I'd really never played football to any extent and got to rise to uh, a great prominence of working in the NFL and what a great honor that was. And I, when, when uh, Chris actually brought me the concept of uh, lacrosse, and we looked at some film together. I, I fell in love with it, and I, I didn't really know how to spell it. I didn't know if it had two S's or two E's because I'd grown up in Florida, and I never played it and ended up in two Hall of Fames with it, and only in America. But uh, what a great sport it is, and uh, what a great country uh, to be able to, to if you can rally an idea, and, and there is a basis and a base, and, and certainly – uh, lacrosse has its history in, in the Native Americans, and uh, I, the more I was involved with it, the more I grew to love it. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's start there. So you obviously uh, uh, doing uh, marketing and promotional work with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in Kansas City in the in the Kansas City metropolitan area. Uh, how does this cross your radar? How does uh, uh, Chris Fritz uh, come into your life? How does it? How does all? How does all this uh, sort of start? Uh, from, I guess, the idea stage into some semblance of, hey, there's something here, and maybe the two of us should pursue it? Well, you know, I, I can't even, uh, it, it, only once in your life, uh, maybe twice if you're lucky, you run across somebody like Chris Fritz. And uh, he is, is without question, one of the most special individuals, and he and I remain very intimate friends and and have worked together for years and years and years and totally different, totally office uh, opposite. I was, I was certainly much more uh, disciplined to the business side and trying to make things happen. And, and, and we shared the same creative promotional uh, ideas, but uh, this guy was, was, uh, he had to slept in the alleys because he, he got ideas and got things. I know, I have no idea where they came from. And, uh, when, when, uh, when I decided we, we actually partnered together on major, uh, concerts in, uh, in arenas and, uh, and stadiums. And I was developing a company called Arrowhead Productions for Lamar Hunt. And uh, we were competitors at first. And, and in a typical, unbelievable way, he comes to me and he says, you know, we can make a lot more money together than bidding against each other and fighting. And uh, we actually made a friendship that was more than, worth more than all the money we made. And we certainly were successful. When I left the Chief, we, with Chiefs, we left it for, for monster trucks and mud racing and tractor pulls. And that might sound crazy to you, but that was some 40 years ago. And it's still one of the biggest things that's going on in our country. And it's now owned by Feld of the, of the Ringland Barnum and Bailey circuses. Uh, the monster trucks we saw in the fields and we saw that it was just beginning to happen. It was at farm places and, and state 
fairs and we we took those together into arenas and to stadiums and but we continued to look for new things we actually we were promoting 300 event nights a year in the United States and we were promoting in Canada and Australia and Puerto Rico and uh, we were doing really really well we were making a lot of money which gave us some play money uh, that we we could develop and get into what was a, a more of a real sport. And uh, Chris brought a film from the – and some of the notes you sent me, which are excellent, by the way. Uh, it took me down memory lane. Uh, he, he It referenced the, the old league in the 70s, and, and it showed some of the, the, the action in and, and box lacrosse. And, uh, and, and we were just like, wow, this is crazy. Cause we were both looking for a new sport for the 21st century. Uh, we thought we could make it go quicker, uh, in growth, uh, but, but we, we knew it was going to take time because outside of really that, that Northern coast area and in Canada, the sport of lacrosse was not being played much across the country at that time. And so that's why we packaged in and went into to that part of the nation, because we knew we had a chance to survive. And uh, and so we just began to set out and say, what can we do? We started off, Chris had the idea of doing it on roller skates and uh, to have something totally different, because you, you got to remember, we were not purist to any sport. And uh, uh, we were... Uh, revolutionary in the sense that we wanted to think outside the box. In fact, we would often say to each other, we're not thinking outside the box. There is no box. Uh, let's just, let's just do something different. And we knew we had a lot of confidence in our ability to sell and to promote and to present a product that people would like at a right price. And luckily because of, of both of our backgrounds and experience me on the NFL side and, and him and, and uh, being a, a top promoter of, of music in, in the country, we were, we had connections and that we could build partnerships where the people would trust us. So we started uh, right away looking at doing that American uh, Canadian series. And uh, we, we put together a hundred thousand dollars. We had 10 partners. Everybody put in 10,000. And we lost a hundred plus another hundred. And uh, we asked who wants to go with us because we think we found some markets we can make this go in. And we ended up being the owners of the league because everybody else quit and dropped out. It wasn't any genius to it. Uh, there was nobody else that wanted to go forward. But we believed in it in enough after that that we, we, we decided we would go ahead and try to put together and form a league and, and, and to birth something, uh, and, and truly it was birthing something from rules to, to, to everything that we felt we needed to have to do this, this version where it would be marketable in the United States. Well, given, given that background, right. So I, I, <clears throat> I got to stop you right there. So I, there are two questions that immediately pop into my mind would be number one would be why not, uh, and maybe you did consider this, or maybe it was already charted territory, Indoor soccer at that time, right? Uh, clearly, in, even in Kansas City, right? The, the Comets were quite the thing and selling out the arenas and stuff. And the MISL, right? Talk about a non-standard sort of version of, of soccer. Uh, that seemed to be sort of a hot uh, thing at the time. I'm wondering why maybe that didn't cross your mind as a potential 
idea. And then maybe secondly is is also the what then in the '90s became uh, roller hockey, right? With um, you know uh, RHI Roller Hockey International, which essentially I guess is maybe this idea with skates, so to speak, right? Right. Uh, and, 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 and those are great questions. We knew John Foster real well, who was the founder of the league, uh, the indoor league. And, and I talked to John all the time. He was out of Des Moines, Iowa and uh, very oh, close sorry, to us. You're talking, you're talking about arena football. I'm sorry. That's another one I should have uh, mentioned. Right. And Jim Foster has been a yeah. on our show. We've had two, two episodes yeah. of them. That's another one I would yeah. imagine you would be interested in. Sorry. I've got about that. Yeah. And so he was one to get us into arena football. And then on the indoor soccer side, uh, we knew the Liwiki guys really well, and uh, they were here in Kansas City, and they've gone on to be unbelievably successful in, in NFL and running uh, AEG and other companies. Um, but but in both cases, Tim, those were imitations of the real thing. Uh, they were knockoffs to what America had already fallen in love with, and they'd fallen in love with football, not necessarily in indoor, and the outdoor soccer was such that that it it had its own brand and 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 taking it indoor again you were kind of the stepchild uh the the great thing about lacrosse is that we brought the real thing and we could we could promote it as that it wasn't it wasn't a imitation of anything else and it was totally unlike the outdoor game and and so we were just packaging what was already uh, had been put together in Canada and and with great players and but but but, but our biggest first challenge was where are we going to get players uh, where 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 are we going to how are we going to field teams uh, the the disadvantage you have when you're a small sport and and, and by the way so that uh, have some legitimate credibility outside of that. You know, I'm still doing. I have to start the X Games with ESPN, and 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 we've grown those over 27 years. I'm still involved with the X Games, and now the X Games were was able to move and has made a big impression into the Olympics. The Winter Olympics is going on right now, so all the snowboarding and all things there came into the Olympics because of X Games. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. sure, absolutely. And and two 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 and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was in Aspen. With with guys that are and guys and gals that are winning gold medals right now from America, uh, the, what we wanted to do, we felt that there was an opportunity if we could do something with lacrosse to introduce the country to not an an imitation of something else, and and so arena football was was kind of, it, you know. And by the way, I, I enjoyed watching arena football. It was kind of a dumbed down version of the real game. And so you had to find a whole new market of people in the, in football, the, 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 the real football purist was not going to roll over into indoor and neither would, neither would the soccer teams. Uh, and, and certainly <laughs> in fairness, outdoor, outdoor lacrosse purists were our biggest uh, protagonists throughout our career of trying to do what we were doing Initially, they didn't want their players to play, and we had to have their players to play. And and uh, but the end, the outdoor game, while it was a, it's a good spectator. I mean, it's a good participatory sport, and that's why it's growing so big across the country. Uh, 
in in my humble opinion, and I think some others can share, it's not a spectator sport uh, it, to the degree that the indoor version is, because the indoor version is fast, it's 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 rough, it's tough. It, it packages that in an indoor way, uh, and and so and and the outdoor game was not established enough across the country. And remember, we had dreams of taking this all across the country, which now there is a team in San Diego playing next year. And there is a team, there are teams in, in San Jose that played in, on the West Coast and in, and in Denver and across the country. Our idea was to get it off that and introduce it to the whole United States. And it has happened. The growth process happened. And, and to a degree now that more kids are playing it, uh, they will go watch that version. And the, the neat thing is if they're really into it, a lot of the college outdoor players who were all Americans come into the NLL. And so you have some name recognition uh, coming in to, to play. So uh, we just felt like that we didn't want to just be a franchise in a city of those other sports, which were minor sports like this would be. We wanted to see if we could, if we could mold a product and, and put our signature on that product and you couldn't do that by owning just one team or one franchise in a market. Now, that's very interesting. So but before you sort of went about uh, some of the mechanics of how to sort of get this up and running from concept to uh, actual implementation, um, you mentioned uh, briefly the, uh, the original uh, National Lacrosse League, which existed in 1974 and 75. Um, right. What of that did you and Chris know or didn't know uh, about perhaps uh, what glimmers of success and or uh, things that maybe they didn't do correctly or just were uh, disadvantaged by to, to think that you could do it differently 10 plus years later? Well, first of all, we had the, we had the, the great advantage of being ignorant. So <laughs> we, we didn't, we did not spend a lot of time trying to uh, replicate what had been done. We looked at what had been done and they did not, they drew the crowds and they had the great players of that time were there and they're playing the game, but the players actually destroyed it because they, that you had individual owners running those leagues and, and there was this, this, there was no real structure. The players were bigger than the structure. And so the players actually, in our opinion, brought that down. Uh, they weren't patient. They saw some crowds. Everybody thinks you're making money because people came in uh, to, to and, and, and it's, it's fair. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same as true today. It's always been with athletes uh, you know, they are the product and they should be treated as fairly as possible. Uh, but, but, but typically if, if, the, if the cost to produce the product becomes higher than you can sell it for to the public, it's going to fail. And, uh, uh, we, we looked at it. Uh, we did not spend a whole lot of time on it. Uh, we, we, we figured that, you know, we're going to start from ground up and we're not going to worry as much about stars. We remember we were giving guys, here's a hundred dollars a game. You bring your tennis shoes, 
and 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 we'll give you shorts and shirts and a helmet and bring your sticks and let's go play lacrosse. And we were getting guys that played lacrosse that was taxi cab drivers in Baltimore to be referees. We were building rules. Uh, no one really knew how to enforce them at, when we started off. And uh, it was a wild west. And, and we, we were having trouble coming up with carpets. A simple thing is a carpet to put down. We went, we went one time, and because we were moving one carpet around, and, and a carpet at that time, an, a, a, an indoor carpet was $50,000. That was a lot of money at that time. Now they're 100 and something thousand, 150,000. But, but, and so the carpet didn't get from Baltimore to Philadelphia, so we went out and bought a bunch of, of carpet remnants from a carpet store and just started putting coke down on the ice and stomping down the rug. And, and, and it was like crazy. And it's a good thing that we weren't really very wealthy at that time because it was so easy for a player to get injured. The liability factor in, in the eighties was not as big as it is today. And so the guys just went and played and they'd go out there and then they would spend their hundred dollars at the post game party. And, and it was, it really was fun. And guys just say, yeah, come up, play, uh, you know, and sometimes they're introducing to each other in the locker room. They practice together. Uh, but, but, but there was a, they were good players and they played with heart and, and the crowds, we, we had low ticket prices. So when the crowds got there, they just had a heck of a time. They had something to cheer for. And there were not all of the, the, the proliferation of smaller sports and as not as much, entertainment to compete with and uh, we would sell out the spectrum and and we would sell out these buildings uh in buffalo and sell out and we did so well and teams would would give anything to do as well today but but they are the ticket prices went so high and the cost to produce became so high and the cost of insurance and protection and and equipment et cetera et cetera et cetera it, well, that's called growth and success. But it, at that time, we just went in there and, and we, we, we called it the Amtrak loop ourselves, by ourselves. We actually took trains to all the different markets and we'd play three, three games in a weekend and we'd come out of Kansas City every weekend and, and colder and heck because we're playing in January, February, March. And, 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 and we would go from get over game catch an Amtrak train out of Baltimore to go to Philadelphia all night long, get there and, and have a few hours of sleep and get the building, start putting stuff together. And everybody wanted to help. It was like, they knew that there was a, there was, there were so many individuals, so many building managers, so many PR directors. I I can't tell you guys like a night Richmond there in Philadelphia. That guy worked tirelessly to sell our, our, our product and, and the product wasn't refined at that time. And, but it was fun. It was fun. And, and, and certainly fights became a part of it. And we, we never won players to fight. We really didn't. The, 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 the lacrosse, the outdoor lacrosse league, the, the, the association would say, you encourage guys to fight. We don't encourage them to fight. They just naturally fought because somebody came up behind them and hit them in the back of the head with a stick. And uh, but we, we need the players on the field more. We need them in the boxes. But the fans loved that, and people didn't get hurt. We did not have big liabilities 
of them getting hurt. And, and uh, they were great athletes. And, and then they would go do their day jobs, whatever it was. Some were making huge money, and like in New York franchise. And we had, there was guys making 750000 a million a year as stockbrokers coming out of these great schools and up north and going, coming and playing for a hundred. And, and then we had guys that weren't making that much, but they just loved, they were paying to play in leagues and club teams and get, they figured, Hey man, these are people here and it's fun. We're getting something. Let's go have fun. Well, success always breeds different issues and, and which it should. And it's not a criticism of anybody as we became more successful. Uh, we had to then began to figure out how we're going to keep this together and attract the best players. And then as, as we were successful and as, as, as lacrosse continued to grow, uh, the players, you know, as great athletes as they were, which would read about all these guys signing for so much money in other sports and they wanted to be paid. And, uh, now you're beginning to have that. That's when we began to wrestle with the economic side because sponsors did not flock to this in the numbers that they do or pay that kind of money. Now for years we had Coors Light and and we lost Coors Light and we got Bud Light and we got and and people would pay, but then their budgets got such that they were going to put their money because of the cost of the bigger sports. They had to cut some of the smaller sports. So, uh, but but at that time it was just so much fun. You went in there. And, and and this is how the post-game party started. And no post-game parties were like the ones in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, we, we, we stayed with that franchise in Philadelphia. We loved Philadelphia. And and we go down there, and if we won, man, we were heroes and and got people wanting to buy us beers. And when we lost, they were going to throw the beer on our suits. And 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 it's the same way today. And then we, I, I love to see the spirit when 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 they win the Super Bowl. And darn, I knew they were going to tear the town down when they won the Super Bowl. That's the spirit of those people, not because they're mean or unruly. They just love their sports. A lot, lot, and of, so, a lot of pent-up energy in Philadelphia, for sure. Uh, well, actually, let me, let me stop you there for a second. So, so t- take us back to sort of 85, 86, 87, right? Because um, I, I think one of the crucial elements of all of this, and I'm, I'm really curious as to sort of how you came to this conclusion perhaps in this Super Series tour that you started with in 85 and then you incorporated in 86, and then the launch itself in 87, per se, uh, was this idea of a single entity concept, right? So you mentioned before franchises and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Our previous conversations with Jim Foster around arena football, if he could do everything over again, uh, and I think he he would like to on a number of fronts, it would be the day that he uh, agreed to segue from a single entity to a franchise model but you, you were you guys were kind of resolute from the very beginning. Uh, I, I wonder why, and uh, it sort of uh, colored your uh, your thinking about why this needed to be single entity at least in the beginning, and maybe perhaps in your mind at the time over the life of this uh, of this fledgling uh, new sport. Well, I I think that the when you have a part time sport, and it it is still a part time sport. There may be for ten or fifteen guys in the NLL that 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 the the owners have hired them to work in their franchise and go sell themselves tickets and things like this, but there's not enough money that you can pay. These these guys are not only talented players; they're talented and they went to good colleges and they make good money. 
and and they've got to play the sport as an avocation. They can't play it as a vocation. It's not like saying, I'm going to go into the NFL. I'm going into Major League Baseball, the NBA, National Hockey League. You're not doing that. So they don't, they practice once a week. And usually they'll practice a couple of days for the game. They'll come in on Friday, play a Saturday game or Sunday. Uh, and they, they give extraordinary time from their families. So to keep it single entity, would be a way that we could keep it equitable to the players because there would be superstars evolve. And, and, and so therefore as a superstar is evolved, you had to be really careful that if you had some people, especially there's a much, there's a very high level of professional owners in the national cross league right now. I mean, these guys are very successful businessmen They've studied the game, and they're very good. Initially, we were getting guy, an account that sells his business, and he makes several million dollars, and he played lacrosse in college, and his son is playing lacrosse, and I'm gonna buy, I would buy a lacrosse franchise from you, and then uh, my son will get to play. And then, then, then the egos get involved and said, you know what? I'm going to go buy Gary Gate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get Gary Gate to move because people had to play where they, where they lived. And we had to distribute that talent equally so that without competitiveness of the, of the, of the teams, you couldn't, the, it, it, people weren't going to just keep going and supporting a team that just got slaughtered all the time. So in the single entity, we had a scale that you got paid on tenure rather than on your greatness. So, so a Gary Gate or a Paul Gate were not making a lot more than someone had been in the league the same number of years they'd been there. Now, that's socialistic. I understand that. But to keep the league going for the number of years that it has survived, it had to be that way. Because if you're going to pay all the money to, to three or four athletes, how are you going to attract these other guys? Because they have pride. They, they are, they're successful in their businesses. And when they come away from their families, there's a value they attach to it. And the amount of, of training they individually do, they didn't have trainers. They came and, and, and they traveled all over and they drove their cars sometimes a hundred miles to practice 150 miles at night and then drive back after practice over, gets over 10, 30, 11 o'clock and goes to work the next day. He may not be Gary and he may not be one of the better players in the league, but he's given that. And so what we were trying to do is, is play a very, uh, hard game of, of, of trying to make it equitable, not on how great you were, but that you, you've given X value to this team and, and that we would recognize your greatness by giving you plaques and these things. Now you can't eat plaques and I understand that, but, but it, the sport did not demand the great money. And because you could, you didn't have a sponsor, you didn't have television contracts, uh, you didn't have those things. No sport today could survive off their attendance. None. NFL couldn't. Major League Baseball couldn't. Nobody can. You, you're, you're surviving off TV, and you're surviving off of, of, of sponsorships and big sponsorships. In order to do that, you got to reach a lot of people and make it worth their while. So that's the reason the single entity, we could, we could, we could at least put together, be sure that that one owner could not come in because they had a lot of money and didn't care how much they lost. 
I mean, you can't believe somebody that's been lost in lacrosse in, in the ownerships. If they could, and they would do this in the NFL too, if there wasn't a, a cap, there's some of those owners who would buy every good free agent that's out there right now because they want to win above everything else. They don't care about how much it would cost them to lose. We cared. <laughs> we didn't have the money. And, and, and we, so, but even in that, the leagues have to protect themselves against their their own success. Well, you, you, also, sure. you also had to start small, right? I mean, look, this is, as you said before, Very is, this is essentially Very. a new sport, right, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And, you know, with, with uh, settling on four teams largely in the Northeast, right, um, you know, you got to kind of, you got to, you know, crawl, walk, and then run, right, if you hopefully get to the run exactly. stage, right? Um, well, let me ask you this. So you mentioned television. This is a good time to talk about it. So um, you're obviously hindsight is, is is clear, right? And and television obviously is the is the the mother's milk, right? Of of professional sports and then some these days, right? But um, give me some sense of where you thought television was either in the earliest days as you're putting all this together and, and getting the Eagle Box Lacrosse uh, League uh, up and running. Uh, or did you kind of just not think that television was going to be anything anytime soon uh, in the makeup of this thing as it was getting off the ground? No, no. We understood right off the bat. And that's why we went to, uh, at one point, Prime Sports, that which is an individual network of sports. We had over 20 million homes in distribution free. We gave them free. We gave them the tapes to try to expose the sport. They wouldn't pay us anything for it. So we would fill the building would use their camera people. We paid for that to get it filmed. And we gave it away because we had to sample the product to people in, in order to get have any opportunity because people didn't know what we were talking about. That's why we changed the name you mentioned from Eagle League to, to major indoor lacrosse league because Eagle League transferred to nothing. We thought it did because we got all into this idea of the Native Americans. We met with him. We met with the chief of the Six Nations, and he gave me, I still have it today, this 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 lacrosse stick that a warrior used, and, and it's battered and beat. I, I treasure it, and I'm going, wow, this is unbelievable. And so we go, let's keep it like, let's keep it to the Native Thing. But but outside of that, what eagle eagle box league? What are you talking about? An eagle box? So, but we, we know that in all the other sports, there was either national or major or something. So we we had to change the name to make it sound bigger than it was. But we gave the product. We had good distribution. Now I'm going to tell you a story that your listeners have never heard. I was, just to give you real quick, besides track those, all these things we were doing, we were not just doing lacrosse. We were promoting major shows. I, I promoted the Michael Jackson Victory Tour. We were doing air shows. We were, we, I was promoting Davis and Fed Cup Tennis for the International Tennis Federation. And ESPN was, was a fledgling network at that time, totally devoted to sports over the network was filming Davis Cup tennis, and that's the U.S. versus other countries. And I was the promoter, and there was a guy on there by the name of Ron Simeo. He and I started the X Games together. But ESPN, they decided to do ESPN2. And ESPN2 was going to be totally dedicated to alternative sports. Today, 
because of so much product they have of, of college basketball games and NBA games and everything else, ESPN1 and ESPN2 just mold together. They're two different networks, but you just go. You 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 still can only show one show in an hour on one network. So they it, it changed from that. That was the first league that ESPN2 ever had on their network, and they came to me, and we had this big thing going with 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 Prism and uh, a, a a a distribution group, and they said, look, we're going to film the games, we're going to pay everything, we're going to pay you, but we're going to come there, we're going to do it first class, we're going to bring in everything from sound technicians to this, that, and the other, and we're going to put it on, we're going to do a championship game, and they did. Not many people watched, but not many people were watching the network anyway, but we were the first league. Today, every major league, every major bowl game, all that, is is equally on ES one ESPN one and ESPN two. But after after two years, three years of doing that, they got so much programming, we were squeezed out. We always knew that that, that it we had to build the sport, not in just in the markets we were getting people to attend, because we couldn't expand. We couldn't stay four teams, six teams. We needed to have a lot of teams and they needed to be to even have a chance to sell franchises. All right, just when it was getting interesting, let's uh, let's bring this uh, to a grinding halt, shall we? Ah, just kidding. Uh, we got to pay the bills around here, and uh, our friends at Audible have been very helpful in attempting to allow us to pay some of those bills, and uh, we want to call them out now uh, and remind you that uh, a free audiobook download is yours for the taking and also a free one-month subscription to the service uh, of Audible at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. Again, audibletrial.com slash goodseats for your free one-month trial of the Audible service and, interestingly, most interestingly, a free audiobook download for you to enjoy. 180,000 titles and growing uh, every day to choose from, and there's uh, absolutely no excuse to not find at least one title amongst that uh, cavernous uh, selection uh, available to you that uh, you won't find to be enjoyable and uh, and good for the soul, including uh, a couple of books that might be interesting to our audience. And yes, some new ones, frankly, uh, that I'm finally listening to. One that I'm listening to right now uh, is by Carson Cunningham. It's narrated by Paul Bamer, and it's called Underbelly Hoops, Adventures in the CBA, a.k.a. The Crazy Basketball Association, which is really, of course, about the Continental Basketball Association, which for many years was sort of this ragtag minor league uh, of the NBA. And that's uh, it's a book I'm about two chapters into right now, and uh, hopefully maybe a guest will get uh, for a future episode. Also, uh, in my queue, next up uh, is another guest that I'd like to get, uh, and her book that she wrote is also uh, narrated by her. Her name is Jeannie Buss. And of course, Jeannie is the daughter of Jerry Buss, of course, the uh, wildly successful founder of the Los Angeles Lakers and the L.A. Forum. And Jeannie is uh, is clearly today the brains behind uh, the Los Angeles Lakers today. Uh, She and her brothers were uh, active, of course, in things like, along with her father, uh, world team tennis, uh, the major indoor soccer league with the L.A. Lasers, all kinds of stuff. So uh, her book is next on my list. That's called Laker Girl. And that, too, is available on Audible. And again, it's one of the 
uh, the many thousands of titles that you can choose from uh, when you go to audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you too can get your free audiobook download to give it a try, perhaps one of those two, or perhaps one of the other 180,000 titles uh, available to you as well. Uh, give it a try, audibletrial.com slash goodseats. Thanks for listening and back to our conversation. But so I guess the uh, the cynic would say that uh, by staying single entity uh, for for a number of years, that that perhaps limited your the speed by which you could grow and or get into franchising. Right. I, it seems to me like a double sword, double edged sword. Right. You you want to protect and grow and nurture. Right. Again, it's a pretty fragile thing, you know, obviously with your promotional chops, uh, obviously, uh, certainly very helpful, but still it's a sport. Right. And it's still not a widespread sport and it's only in a handful of markets and your your, your television exposure is relatively limited. Um, but, you know, wouldn't I guess the the, the more aggressive uh, uh, sports executives say, well, isn't the model then to get faster and, and to maybe get to that national scale and then that beget uh, possibly television and more national coverage to go the franchise route? Uh, you guys decided not to, I guess. Um, and I'd be curious as to why. I mean, I could see the positives, but I could also okay. see potential negatives. Okay. The thing that I think we all have to watch out for in our cavern of our wonderful minds is, is that being born in a garage doesn't make you a car. Saying that because you call yourself national or you, do you think you, you adopt a model? There have been more models we were the first single entity sports franchise in the United States. That's historically correct. Now, when Lamar Hunt and the group formed the, 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 the soccer league as we, as we know it today, the soccer league in the United States. Yeah, Major League Soccer, yeah. They came, I was a consultant to Lamar in the group that they wanted a hybrid of the single entity ownership, that they would have owners that, that, that represented the, 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 the run the franchises and locally there, but that the league itself would control the payrolls pay, and, and that way they could, they could prop up leaky franchises. See, the thing we were doing when we would expand, a franchise wouldn't do good. We were taking from the money from the one that did good, and given and and to keep that one going to grow and build a sport. So we we could have, if you look at the historical past years since there's been individual ownerships and the number of franchises, there's been something like twenty something franchises go bankrupt of single of not a single entity of owners in the National Cross League and the markets they've been in. Because you, you just because you get someone to own a franchise doesn't mean it's going to be successful. The thing that the, that the, that the Major League Soccer does, they take care of their weak franchises the way we did. We propped it up. So, so Philly was selling out. We weren't walking out of the money with that money, have that sell out there. We were putting it in Baltimore who was dying. But we had to have we had to have markets to play in, and we had to expand the markets for the future of the growth. We had the plan, 
And, and, and certainly we were not going to keep it single entity forever. We were trying to, we were trying to take care of the baby and manage the environment of the baby because when we get eagles of everybody in there ended up fighting back and forth in what is a very fragile environment for it to survive, we made money in lacrosse. We're the only people walking today that made money in lacrosse. We made it. So now the sport is better off today in what is what in moving to these and having because it takes big money now. Big money to do these things. And and the amount of money that people lose is astronomical. And they stay with it. How they're ever gonna get their money back, I don't know. But but I, we were never in anything to lose. We we were just two old boys out of Kansas City that had been pretty successful and we when we did a concert, we didn't want to lose. We were gonna make money. If we lost, we were lucky we had some others that made the money, but we didn't win every time. So the single entity, this would have never got the, the it would have never got off the ground without single entity. It really couldn't have because it was not it didn't have enough legs to survive and have the infighting of owners, have the 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 amount of time it would have taken to come to, we, we were trying to play six games in, in six markets and work all the scheduling out. And, and we were always the last in the building of the, to get the Saturday nights or the, or the Friday nights. Uh, we were pooling our advertising dollars to promote. We were, we were sharing and propping up markets that did not, that was not doing well. And Baltimore, by all rights, should have been the best market. It was never a good market. It failed under us, and it failed under the owner, single entity owner, that took it over. And and I don't think it was our fault, and I don't think it was his. Man, he lost a lot of money. But we were supporting that market because we needed Baltimore because Baltimore is a hard bed of the lacrosse name, outdoor and 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 we put the gates there we did everything we could the marquee names of the outdoor and it didn't work and and uh, so so as a single entity you 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 have you have six chicken franchises only six chicken franchises it's the only name it's not kentucky fried chicken these are just six franchises owned by the same guy and he calls it pokey chicken. And if he sold each one of those individually and he couldn't standardize a product to get it started, standardize what he was bringing forward, I don't, I don't think it would, I don't think that this would not have lasted as long as we were able to keep it going. What was the, uh, the logic? So maybe give us a sense of sort of those first couple of years, right? So you, you have, you start with four, you get to six teams, uh, you move New Jersey to Long Island, which certainly makes sense as a lacrosse hotbed. Give, give us, give our audience a bit of a sense of uh, sort of how you were received, shall we say, by the fans, uh, to 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 what extent the uh, local sports media. It seems to me that <clears throat> you've got sort of maybe a, a dual uh, market, I guess. One being sort of the lacrosse enthusiast, right, a relatively small but but rabid fan base that. Uh, I guess the, the the challenge was how do you convert them from the purist to the hey it's professional lacrosse come see it 
Um, and then the other group seems to be more, I guess, of the and probably bigger, my guess is the sort of casual sports slash entertainment fan uh, that could sort of get into this game, maybe without necessarily understanding or caring about maybe the nuances of the sport of lacrosse. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. And, and I will tell you that I don't think it, it, of, the, of, the, of the indoor lacrosse fans, there probably is maybe 30%, and I, I'm pulling this out of my bottom, okay, but I, I, I think I'd be pretty close, uh, that are outdoor purists that come to that game. They, the, the outdoor game, the, the indoor game has its own market and its own profile and the people that like it. And I will tell you, is you if, if you've been to the outdoor, in the outdoor league, they don't draw as many people as the indoor does. So the indoor are not going to the outdoor games. You've got a whole different market. You've got, you've got a group of people who like, the up tempo, the, the 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 skill, the run, the throw, the hit, and be able to do it in a tight quarters. And then you've got the others who love the outdoor and and the great skills that are there. And it's kind of what you grew up with, you know. It, it's it's uh, it's softball versus hardball. You know, you got softball people, and you got baseball people. And rarely do you find baseball people really going to softball until they get. 30, 40 years old and can't handle hardball anymore. The, the, and, and that's true. That's not just true in lacrosse. That's true in all sports. I think that, and that's our biggest challenge today. I am very involved still in the market of sports nationally and internationally. And I, 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 I meet with networks and I'm involved in that. And I will tell you, it's a, it's a big challenge today. It's the, the marketplaces of the world are becoming more segmented and, and, and Major League Baseball is losing their biggest threat right now to the future of their game is the outdoor game of lacrosse because kids are not playing baseball in the numbers and many of them in the high school scenes are going to lacrosse. And, and so you, you end up, I, the, the, there may be a great future. Now, it hasn't translated for Major League Soccer. More kids, more little kids play soccer because they run and they kick and, and pick dandelions. And, and it's a great sport for put your little kids in. I mean, there's, you know, the soccer moms, <laughs> you got four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, but then they band it and leave it. They don't go, it doesn't translate going and watching it. They liked it. It was it was sort of like tennis, which I was deeply involved in the professional side of tennis, not playing, but promoting worldwide. And 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 more people play tennis than go watch tennis. So it, there there are participatory sports, and then there are spectator sports. A lot less people play football than go watch it. And and that's true at the high school level. When the high schools, when there's a big game, if there's a, if the high school is playing a baseball game, and even if they got a really good team, they don't have near as many as they'll have at a Friday night football game. And and there's understanding the social dynamics of people and the psychological dynamics of of the marketplaces. Uh, there's there's been millions of dollars spent for of, of all the leagues 
and 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 all the people marketing to figure that out. And it's hard. It's not easy. It, it's it's really not easy. And they're they're seeing less loyalty to brands, less loyalty to sports than what it was. And uh, because there's so much more, there's so much more entertainment. There's so many, many more entertainment opportunities. And and uh, so it's very difficult. It's a lot harder today to to really get uh, sports to be successful unless it's got a good enough name and it's happening enough that you get television and sponsors. Well, you were get you were certainly getting those some some attention, especially in those markets, right? That you were, uh, I mean, you know, in, even in '89, right, your second year. I mean, you're getting you're averaging attendance, you know just south of 10,000 per game, which was, you know, for six teams and maybe, what, six or seven or eight games uh, for a season plus playoffs. I mean, in 1990, right, you're getting, you know, you're getting a 17,000-plus attendance uh, at the Spectrum, right, in Philadelphia, perhaps one of your strongest markets, as you hinted at before. Um, You know, uh, I think in 91, um, you know, after, uh, you know, Detroit came into the league, you, you bring in, uh, for those who are paying attention, the two legends of college or collegiate uh, uh, lacrosse in the Gate Brothers, right? Which is almost yeah. is almost akin to sort of a small sort of version of, I guess, a, it's a, having like twin Pele's, right? Coming to coming to right. the so you could get that sort of general interest player, like, whoa, here are these guys coming in with, you know, three national championships under the belt, and they're going into this. What is this thing they're going into? What is this sport of lacrosse all about? I got to think that. You were stoking the fire with sort of the lacrosse purists, right? Because it was professional lacrosse, right? I mean, there's nowhere else to, do, to have it, right? Uh, Jake Steinfeld and, and Outdoor didn't come until 2001, right? So it was the only literally and figuratively game in town for anybody uh, even nominally interested in lacrosse. But it also seems to me like you were, uh, you know, throwing a few more logs on that fire to get sort of that sort of general interest fan who just wanted a good sports excitement uh, entertainment uh, value, so to speak. Uh, you know, they go out on a Saturday night and have some fun. Oh, and it was fun. We had hot tubs. Do you remember that? We had girls in hot tubs, and 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 we we played music throughout the whole game. And and nobody did that at that time. We were playing this. Heck, if you didn't like the game, listen to music. And we had great music. We programmed in there. And announcers announcing, he's announcing it live in the game, not just. Gold, number 12. It was, they're announcing and they're excited and the crowd's excited and people are playing and, and you don't, and, and you, they're jumping and cheering and, and it's, and it's a family atmosphere and it, and you've got, you, it's cheap. It's cheap to go there. It's cheap to own a season ticket. You're only selling six games, eight games. Everybody else was selling so many more. And then there was the post game party. You go down and you actually get to meet players. The players would all come down there. We we wanted every player down there, every coach, every me and Chris, and we'd go down there and we would hang with those and we'd have a band playing, and it was a festival uh, as such. Today, music's played in games. All it, NHL does it, and NBA does it, and all these. And we were being criticized. And 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 they do crazy things. And and I promote the N one street to N one streetball tour in the United States and overseas. And the and and the NBA hated the N one guys because they they would do ducks behind their backs and do these things. 
What do you see in the NFL today? That N1 tour changed the NBA. And what they, they said, if people will pay that kind of money to go see those guys do that, and we need guy, people coming in the stands, you know what we're going to do? We won't tell, tell them not to showboat. Let him showboat. If he can do, turn two times around and throw the ball in over his head, people go crazy for that. And and so there's an evolution of of entertainment. And when sports is no longer entertainment, NFL got in trouble this past year because of of a lot of involvement of uh, using the national anthem by some of the players as a a protest. Uh, their way of protesting. Uh, they weren't necessarily wrong to protest the issue. <laughs> they just picked the wrong thing. And so, therefore, there there was a backlash suddenly against the whole NFL, a backlash against NFL players uh, because it got mixed with idealism and patriotism. And you got to be really careful. Because people see it as fun and they see, and these guys, they weren't overpaid. They loved these guys. These were, these were lunch pail guys, man. They came to work and got a hundred bucks, just like most of the people sitting in the, in the stands were doing. And they worked their tail off for them. And then they, they go to see the Eagles play and a quarterback getting paid millions of dollars. Can't complete a pass. It throws an interception and it hacked them off. Didn't hack them off as bad. This guy's only getting a hundred. Well, that, that, that was also – that almost became a deliberate part of your marketing strategy, right? Sort of the, the regular guy Absolutely. sort of angle, right? It was, it was the truth. It was, a, it was an American dream. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was Jim Thorpe. It was – you get to – a guy who works at the, as a FedEx driver gets to go on a Friday night and play for 12,000, 15,000 people and play a game that he loves and uses skills and certainly need to spend a lot of time in with ice afterwards because he didn't work out every day. He had kids, he worked, he did. These were great guys. Oh, I, and I'm going to tell you what, the, 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 the quality of the lacrosse player is, is just, I love these guys. They love to party. They're great athletes and they love their fans they they are involved. When I first started in NFL in 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 nineteen seventy four, players would smoke in the locker room, dude. <laughs> they would in the halftime, they needed a cigarette. You do that today? It evolves. Everything evolves. And 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 so sports has evolved. The fun of sports, a lot of it has gone. It's become very professional, and it's and, and well, it should be. I mean, it's a big business, and the big business can take the entertainment out of it. At that time, that was ring, ring, Ringling, Barman, Bailey, lacrosse fun. And your team may have lost, but you had fun. You listened to music. You, there was crazy things going on. You did crazy things in the halftime. It, it, they had fun. And what people want today still is if you can find a way they can have fun, alleviate some of their pain. There's so much pain in the world. Make me have fun. If I go to a movie and, and, and I'm bummed when I come out, I'm going to go back and see a movie like that. So life, these guys brought life. And, and, and I'm down there, out there, and 
Nelson and slapping them on the back and running around the arena with them. And they go, man, there's an owner. Look, that guy's an owner. And he's up to run around. And he's going to come down in a minute. And I'm going to tell him what a horse manure owner he is when we get down there. <laughs> I'm going to tell him he should be paying them more. I said, yeah, I know. I, they should be paid more. I never, I never said they shouldn't be paid more. We just weren't making enough money to pay them more. <laughs> it wasn't like we weren't share it. We even gave the players when when we came to the toughest time of where they wanted to form they they formed an association it wasn't a union association. We said we will give you our books, and we will let you bring a, an accountant, account any county firm willing to pay for the county firm will give you our books and you look at every single thing. And they thought we were making millions of dollars off them. When you couldn't map the numbers, and these guys as smart as they were in their work. <laughs> It wasn't millions of dollars if you added up every single thing and multiplied it by a hundred and gross, let alone expenses. And they said, we don't trust you. We're not going to do it because you, you're hiding it somewhere. That's how the distrust became in a frustration. And so therefore, uh, once I just shut it down, we're done. <laughs> I will not leave my family as much as I'm leaving my family and do this. When I'm making really good money in other places, I'm not going to do this. As much as I love, I won't do it. And they came back. And and I never lost, though, admiration for those guys. And I understand, man, I grew up from nothing. And these guys were all doing well, and they were sacrificing. They were sacrificing more than me. Okay, I give it to you. I didn't get by hockey stick or, or a cross stick. You are sacrificing more, but I'm sacrificing too. And I'm, we're in it together. For the first five, six, seven years, man, everybody was in it together, pulling. And then it's like the family. You, you know, somebody gets a little bit, hey, I'm not getting treated as well. Dad, you treat the others better than you treat me. And then pretty soon, there's a divorce headed down the road. And then so we started selling franchises. We sold them. And by the way, up until then, nobody even wanted to buy them. We, it wasn't because we, we wanted to have them. If somebody gave us money, they have a really funny story, though. You want an anecdote, funny story. There's a guy, and I won't name him. He, in Long Island, he is a, was a billionaire. Had his assistant call us and said we, he would like for us to come and meet with him at his mansion in Long Island. That's when we had the team over in Long Island. And... Uh, we thought, oh my God, we've hit the, we've hit, we've hit it. This is so great. So he buys his first class tickets from Kansas City, has this limo pick us up, takes it out there. It's going to be a one day deal. We fly in the morning, we're flying back that night. We go in, we sit down. He comes in and he's wearing his robe, and he's got about ten guys around this big long table, consultants, attorneys, and like, and he says. I like what you boys have done. I want to buy. I'm going to give you $1 million for, for the Long Island lacrosse team. And I said, I said yeah, first I tried to keep from soiling my pants because I had to fly back. $1 million for the lacrosse team. You know, what do you want to do with it? He said, it's my wife's birthday. I want to give it to her, the team. The New York Saints would be a birthday gift. Would be a birthday gift. And we said, you know, we're, we would love to have you involved with us in some way. This, 
we can't just sell one franchise. Oh, but that million dollars looks so sweet. And he says, okay, Glenn, we don't have a deal. He said, I might come over in 20 games sometime. Got back in the limo, took it straight back to the airport, we got our plane back. That's the true story. And I won't tell you the name. That's the true story. But, okay, so that is an amazing story. But did that give you an inkling that maybe it was time to start thinking about the franchise thing? Or was that just a, 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 just a, an amazing one-off memory that, uh, that, that did not convince you uh, that single entity was uh, worth uh, leaving anytime soon? Yeah, we never held onto single entity because that it was ego or because we were doing so well from Amazon. It was, it was work like crazy. We had two or three friends. When we actually started, we started moving franchises well before we were forced to do it. We started moving them. And, and by the way, it, it, the, the, the infrastructure began to crumble. It, 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 it is, there, there's, there's cracks and things as you go and, and, and you've got to pay dues and some did wouldn't pay dues and everybody's got to be willing to, you all got to agree on, we got to agree on a rule change and, and we got to do that. Da, da, da. And, and you remember we were, we were in an advocation ourselves. We had other businesses were really making us a lot of money. I was on the road so much. I don't know. I've been married 37 years. I don't know how my wife stood it. And we were very successful and are remain successful. But one of our proudest and one of our, one of our, our, when Chris and I get together and we're not young anymore, the proudest thing that we talk about and, and, and we laugh and, and it is the days, the camaraderie that you can't buy. Hey, I was at the college football playoff championship games. I helped with ESPN as a consultant. I've been to each one of them it is standing in Atlanta on the sideline, da, da, da. And I, I didn't feel a 10th of the pride and the joy because that wasn't mine. That wasn't anything I helped really create, but what a great thing to get to be there and see Alabama and Georgia on the sideline and see these thousands of people. I know it's going to millions of people across that some of those post game parties stand down there. And I did not drink because I did not want to make a fool out of myself in front of those fans or those kids. And I signed autographs and I signed autographs and those autographs meant nothing except to them, man. It was what a, what a great experience. And, and I, I want to tell you before we conclude this, that these guys that are, that, that are in the NLL right now, the, the players and, and certainly the, the leadership, and these owners, uh, be thankful for them. They love the sport, and they put so much more because it requires it now financially and, and on the line. And they, they all want to win, and they all want the good of the sport, and they all want to be successful. There's some really great men that, are, that have the reins of, of, of lacrosse right now in the National Lacrosse League. And uh, – uh, we were proud to be a part for a long time because we kept the wings. We, we kept that. And, and, and they're our friends. They're good men. And, and uh, lacrosse needs a break of some kind. I don't know what it is. But it's not because they don't put their money in. It's not because they don't work hard. And it's not because they don't care. They love that sport. And to the, to the thousands of, of, of my Philadelphia 
people out there that, that many of them, you're my Facebook friend. Uh, I see your kids growing up and, and I just want to tell you, thanks for the memories. Thanks for the memories and thanks for the support. And, uh, it's because of you that we can laugh and we can, Chris and I can really shed kind of stupid tears sometimes from laughing and enjoying of the times that we, we spent with you. And uh, to our great restaurant over there, Donardo's that I hadn't been in so long, every time we come in full death, we go there and crack crabs and my fingers would be bleeding. Oh man, I, I, I've eaten all over the world, Donardo's all over the world, none better than crabs. Uh, and I thank you for letting me be a part of this, Tim. And I know we've gone forever, but uh, we've probably worn people out. Uh, lacrosse is a great sport. And uh, it's going to, it's, it is growing. Uh, the outdoor game is growing so big. And that's so exciting. And, and, and the fans are loving it. And just one day, who knows? You know, there's, there's never going to be, I don't think, the magnitude of, of these big, big sports like NFL and Major League Baseball. But you don't have to do that. You can have a niche that is firm and good. And, and, and I know Major League Soccer continues to be more successful. Uh, and this is going to be too. And, and thanks to the guys that are carrying on the, the mantle. Well, I, you know, first of all, thank you for, for taking all this time. Um, I, in many respects, we've, I think, only even scratched some of the surface of this. And I, I hope this is not the, uh, the last of our conversations around uh, lacrosse, the uh, pro variety, the lots of interesting stories uh, that you've uh, you've hinted at uh, that uh, would love to get uh, a little even more deeper uh, into. And uh, I look forward to hopefully staying in touch and maybe some few a few other folks uh, from your uh, from your days in the uh, the Eagle League, the the MILL, the uh, the transition to National Lacrosse League, etc. Uh, could uh, uh, regale us with some of those, but I, I I can't thank you enough. This has been a great introduction and a great uh, setting of scene about the sport of lacrosse in this country. And hopefully we'll have a few more uh, in-depth conversations about it uh, in the weeks and months to come. So thank you so much. If I don't die, Tim, you get more shots at it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll take you up on that, Russ. All right, there it is. Uh, you uh, lacrosse fans out there cannot uh, uh, lambaste me much longer because uh, uh, there's an episode devoted just to you. And uh, as we uh, uh, often find in our conversations, uh, we, I think, just scratched the surface, didn't we, of, of some of the things. We didn't even get to uh, a whole host of things about uh, some of the teams and the, the players involved and uh, the... the uh, the migration or the translation or the transition uh, from single entity into the franchise-owned uh, now uh, National Lacrosse League. Uh, and my hope is that we'll have a, a number of other conversations with some uh, some key participants in uh, in this history of a very exciting uh, sport uh, and entertainment uh, offering known as indoor lacrosse. Uh, I'd love to get uh, one or both of the Gate brothers. Uh, I think uh, Chris Fritz would be a great guest to have uh, the uh, co-founder and, and, like I said, co-conspirator, if you will, uh, with Russ uh, on the uh, origins of uh, of the league and what became now known as the uh, National Lacrosse League. But uh, uh, clearly, uh, some some intriguing stories and and, and just uh, revelatory in um, you know just even if you're not a lacrosse fan per se, but just a, an understanding of uh, big time uh, uh, 
you know, professional sports, uh, the entertainment uh, components of it, the role of television, uh, how you nurture a sport, the debate, right? We heard this with our uh, our friend Jim Foster around the Arena League, the debate, Arena Football League, about, um, you know, uh, to uh, a single entity uh, approach the league, to uh, franchise it. Uh, the, how do you possibly bridge the two in between? Um, you know, and, and arguably uh, a, a time and an era, 10, 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago even, when things might have been a little bit more uh, straightforward uh, to be able to sort of birth some of these things versus perhaps today where it's a little bit uh, more difficult. Or hell, you know, some people would even say it's actually a bit easier uh, given the uh, prolifer- pro- proliferation, he says, uh, of television and certainly video and social media. You know, maybe some of those things are a little bit more straightforward and easy. You can go more directly to fans. Uh, you can generate some other uh, revenue streams uh, much more quickly versus just selling tickets and having to prove it and then get television coverage. I don't know. The debate rages on. But I, I, I sure as hell know uh, that we have many more conversations about uh, indoor lacrosse, certainly outdoor lacrosse, uh, the original National Lacrosse League back in the 70s, uh, and just a whole host of other uh, other topics, both uh, uh detailed around lacrosse and tangential to it uh, in the weeks and months to come. So hopefully you'll stick around uh, for those kinds of conversations. And uh, obviously, if you've got some suggestions uh, on how we do that and some of the people that might uh, be helpful for that, we certainly encourage you to uh, to let us know. And and of course, the best place to let us know uh, is to find our, our email address, uh, at our website, which is goodseatsstillavailable.com. Of course, you'll find this episode among the 50-plus other episodes thus far uh, there. Uh, you'll also find links to all kinds of uh, books and media and all the things that we reference uh, during the course of our conversations. Again, that's goodseatsstillavailable.com. Uh, visit early and visit often. And of course, uh, you'll also find our social links there. On Twitter, you'll find us at goodseatsstill. Uh, on Instagram, we're at Good Seats Still Available. Uh, you will find a Facebook page devoted to the site. Uh, you can message us uh, in any of those places as well. Uh, and, um, you know, however you choose to uh, interact with us, please do so. And uh, we encourage you to do so. And, of course, please rate and review us. Please, please, please. Uh, Apple iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever moniker that you uh, appleize your uh, podcast listening or anywhere else for that matter if it's google play or auto radio or stitcher or iheart radio you, you hear us on stitcher uh we said stitcher or um uh, you name it you know we're just about everywhere google play music uh spotify uh wherever you find us uh tune in uh by all means leave us a, a rating a review uh, we certainly love that too that helps us and helps others frankly find uh, this show and, and discover hopefully what you enjoy uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, one last thing, of course, uh, our friends at Podfly Productions who help us put this uh, this showgram together every week without fail. And in particular, our friend Jerry Payne, uh, the good doctor who uh, helps us uh, every week by putting all our components and pieces and uh, various audio files together to make it sound smooth and nice. So thank you so much uh, to our friends at Podfly. And again, you can find out more about them and their podcast services at podfly.net and we encourage you to check check them out and of course tell them that we sent you all right so uh we're going to send you on your way and we thank you again for giving us some listens uh this week and uh, every week of course uh take care everybody we'll talk to you next week <laughs>